You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in beautiful West Monroe alongside... Mark Kramer this morning. Mark, how you doing, bud? Doing good. Thanks again for uh, asking me to host while you were gone. I did tell everybody each day uh-huh. while you were gone, and you didn't do it, so obviously it didn't rub off, but I kind of expected you to come back after your time in Jamaica and go, Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, how goes it, man? I should have started how do, this morning. How goes it, man? I am going to be a little rusty this morning, so I'm going to need you to walk me through the next uh, two hours got a lot of things to discuss and i want to start there first of all uh, thank you and a, a cast of characters that filled they in for char- the last they were characters that's for for the sure. last uh, six days i certainly appreciate it. it there's something about this job and i love every morning coming in here but there's another aspect of it where you get an opportunity to basically turn off the tv and turn off the tv turn off your phone and get away from basically the world for five or six days literally eight days and it is it is kind of liberating, and it is kind of nice, but, of course, when you come back, you have absolutely no clue what's going on. Yeah, it gives you a different perspective for sure, and uh, I know I've done that going to Maui before, mm-hmm. and you come back and you really kind of feel lost yeah. uh, and realize how much you depend on uh, media coverage and the things that you do during your everyday job, whether it's here mm-hmm. or your night job, mm-hmm. uh, that it just uh, it, you just kind of lose all of it. And I, I try to make a pledge to my wife because uh, this is a consuming job with sports <laughs> locally, nationally, regionally, everything you try to keep up to date on. When I, we do get away, I tell her, hey, I'm cutting myself off, and, you know, it's basically our time and our time to relax. So uh, it, it works out all right. And then, of course, when you come back, you're like, okay, Scrambling. now it's back to business. But it is certainly nice to be back. But thank you to all you guys that helped pitch in over the course of the last uh, week and a half. And, of course, uh, our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to Jake Martin. Right. I give that kid a heck of a hard time on a daily basis, but it, he's a, a great, great kid. And, of course, right now he's going through some issues with his uh, daughter um, ever since I've been back, but in contact with him. And, and she is doing better over in Shreveport, and they're hoping That's to great. take her home here in the next uh, couple of days or hopefully in the next couple of hours if everything continues to go well. That would be great. I've said the same thing each day uh, that we've been on the show. and. Uh, because we've had some people, hey, is Jake still on the show? Yeah. And wondering why he wasn't here with me. And so um, we've uh, put that out there every day. So if you get an opportunity today, just uh, some thoughts and prayers for uh, Jake and, of course, his daughter, Emerson, as they continue to fight through this thing. Plenty to discuss over the next two hours. Of course, we want to hear from you on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance text hotline. Call Stuart to see how the power of choice can help you save home and auto insurance. That phone number is 588-7474. We'll get to some vacation stories uh, coming up here after a while. we got a nice guest list. But let's get to a, a couple headlines today. Kramer, I want to start with probably uh, the Saints minicamp kicks off today. One of three mandatory practices. Typically, there's not going to be a lot of headlines from this, especially when you're dealing with the New Orleans Saints. They don't have a lot of drama. They don't have a lot of their big names saying, uh, they're going to decide not gonna to come miss to a mandatory yeah. minicamp. Yeah, and I think I think Davenport, I think the biggest thing yeah. is Davenport uh, going to have thumb surgery. I think that's probably the biggest headline coming out of the Saints camp period, uh, but uh, saying that he'll it's minor surgery, he'll be ready for when actual training camp opens in a month or, you know, month, month and a half or so. Um, so, yeah, at least the Saints don't have those issues uh, like Atlanta's having and like, the Giants are having with uh, with some of their players, and it's the same thing with Seattle. The only thing I found a little baffling from uh, the Marcus Davenport story with the thumb injury, NFL Network reporting it, that uh, he still planned to go through the three days of minicamp and then, of course, have surgery, and then we'd be back for the start of training camp. Maybe that's just they need uh, the number of reps that he would go through or the things that he would see so much of the, the technology and the scheme that he continues to have to work on. That's the only thing I can Well, and they from. probably, you know, they don't have any tackling drills or anything yeah. where he'd have to use his hands, so he could have it uh, bandaged up or 
a small little cast or something on it if he needed it and still, as you said, be able to go through the reps of, of learning the, uh, the scheme and what their defensive alignments are going to be against certain formations and that kind of thing. The other news with the Saints, of course, uh, Drew Brees will be right down the road later tonight. He will be the uh, guest uh, speaker at the Walk-On's Independence Bowl kickoff. Man, Drew Brees, you want to talk about a busy offseason. It seems like it's like every other day where we have a story about Drew Brees doing a good deed across the country or basically jet-setting across the country as one of those featured speakers. I guess he'll finish practice today, take a private jet to Shreveport, speak, fly back to New Orleans, and be ready for the second day of that mandatory training camp, mini camp, tomorrow. He's uh, he's the kind of guy, he's he will command when he's done playing he'll command a lot of money to be a speaker mm-hmm. that he'll be able to make a full-time living just as a banquet speaker for whatever. But you just wish that there were other players, uh, many other players. I know there's quite a few, but uh, he's, he's quite an example of a superstar hall of famer that is also a superstar and hall of famer off the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just wish some of the other players would kind of uh, follow that kind of example. We may get to this list later in the show. Forbes came out with its world's, world's highest paid athletes. Uh, Drew Brees, any guess where he ranks on the list there, Mark Kramer? Uh, in the, is this in the world or in yes, the country? Yes, in the world. In the world? Um, this isn't including walk-ons and, of course, his other business adventures. <laughs> <laughs> is he even in the top ten? Uh, he's number 17. Yeah, overall. I was going to say, I wouldn't even think he was in the top ten. People, because it's not as big here. Actually, a lot of the top uh, paid athletes in the world are soccer players. Mm. Uh, actually, I thought it was pretty good being 17th in the world. Not yeah. too shabby with the pay of uh, $42.9 million. That includes, of course, his salary and his endorsements. He is right behind Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, of course, uh, with his uh, endorsements coming in at $42 million. And he hasn't won a lot in terms of uh, his salary in the last year or so. But uh, that could change, of course, with the start of the U.S. Open also this week. Yeah, we talk, actually talked about that yesterday a little bit, about the fact that somebody like Michael Jordan really, and I, and I think maybe one year, but of all the years that Michael Jordan played, he wasn't the, the top-paid NBA player because he made three times – his NBA salary in endorsements. So he didn't need to be or didn't feel like he needed to be the highest paid player in the NBA simply because he was making so much in endorsement money. Mm. Uh, I do have some high school football news. The LHSA does come out. Dean Smith from Wasman, of course, was appealing his suspension. He, uh, he loses that appeal. So Dean Smith, Wasman's head coach, will miss the first four games uh, the regular season, of course, this involved a player at Carroll. He's an incoming freshman. LHSA does rule the kid eligible immediately at Carroll, but Dean Smith will not be coaching for Wasmer for the first four games. So what this means is Jackie Hamilton, who, of course, is coming over from Carroll, will be the interim head coach for Wasmer. Bizarre. <laughs> Arch rivals, of course. Well, first Dean coached under Jackie at Carroll, then left for Washita, then got the Wasman job. Of course, they go head-to-head. They've had a great relationship the entire time. We've loved the back and forth, of course, for the big grudge game between Wasman and Carroll. And now, as luck would have it, or the suspension would have it, Jackie Hamilton will be the head coach at Wasman for at least the first four games. That's very bizarre. The only thing that could make this story even better is the fact if Wasman played Carroll in the first four games. That is not going to happen, but they will square off in the Jamboree. Dean Smith will be on the field for that, and, of course, Carroll is the school that they've had the issues with. Some drama there. It does. It sets up for <laughs> some uh, for some uh, fan trash talk as yes. well. And, of course, Carroll turned Wasman in to the LHSA. So just saying. We'll see how this plays out between the cats and the dogs. Dean Smith, though, loses his appeal, will not be on the sidelines for the Wasman Wildcats for the first four games. College World Series, the field is set. Mark Kramer, boy, did we have some drama last night. Yeah, the Florida, I felt so bad for the Florida-Auburn game, just the way that ended. I felt so bad for the right fielder from Auburn. I mean, he's a good player also, uh, but uh, kind of a, uh, except not off the noggin, but almost like a Jose Canseco kind of play. Where he goes back and kind of get kind of get turned around a little bit on the warning track, 
and then when he righted himself, he saw the ball was off to his left, reached over for it, uh, and unfortunately it hit the end of his glove and went over the fence for a home for a walk-off home run as the Florida Gators beat Auburn 3-2 to two in uh, 11 innings. And the thing was that if you go back and look at the, at the video, if he doesn't even – if it misses his glove, it wouldn't be a home run. It would have hit the wall and only been a double. There was nobody on base at the time. So you just um, – or he could have caught it if he hadn't gotten turned around because he was there. He just got turned around and kind of reached back in a funny way to try and catch the ball, and, and it hit off the end of his glove and went over the fence. So I just feel bad for him because he's going to remember that yeah. the rest of his life. Uh, college baseball has gotten a lot more national exposure and, of course, is more in the headlines. But uh, still, can you imagine if this would have been a more marquee sport or been had more national exposure, what this play would be? I mean, obviously we talked extensively about J.R. Smith and, of course, his gap. But this was huge for, of course, costing Auburn an opportunity to go to the College World Series. Yeah, and it's just it was just unfortunate. Like I said, I just felt really terrible for that kid one of the great things he did not go to the post-game news conference one of the great things though about college baseball and college sports in general within two minutes or a minute or so after the game ending and that whole play unfolding about six of his teammates ran out to him because he was down on his knees you know out on the warning track because he was so uh, distraught about the play that his teammates ran out and actually got him and put their arms around him and walked him back in to the dugout. And I thought that was a real classy move by his teammates. Uh, Steven Williams this year, he's been a good player. 12 home runs, drove in 51 uh, RBIs for uh, Auburn. But uh, later on, he did post last night. They called Auburn for a reason. Love this team. Win wanted to go to war with anyone else. War damn Eagles. Steven Williams. Now, of course, Florida advances the College World Series. We'll get to the uh, field and what it is comprised of coming up later in the show. If you uh, have a comment or a question, hit us up at 888-993-7762. It's all part of the starting lineup brought to you by Louisiana Pain Care. The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? Starting lineup. Are you crying? <laughs> the starting lineup. There's no crying. Let's get to the starting lineup. Uh, coming up in the next segment, we look forward to hearing from Rustin head coach Jared Boss. Some exciting things taking place for the Bearcats, including they have a new offensive coordinator. He'll join us in the next segment. We'll talk more college baseball coming up at 730-year-old buddy Brett Hudson will join us. He was there. He had a front row seat to one of the best games, one of the best series you'll ever see that involved, of course, Mississippi State. Brett Hudson coming up at 730. Gus Cattendale will join us for his weekly visit at 8 o'clock. Of course, your calls, your texts, always welcome at 888-993-7762. The top 10 Thursday on the horizon, looking for some ideas. Anything that you would like us to rank coming up later in the week. I was thinking, Mark, maybe you come up with a, a guest list of the top 10 interviews that listeners out there would want us to try to get with a local tie-in for the next two months. Who would be your... A-list guest that you have yet to talk to or interview or someone you've talked to but haven't had them on there and think that that would be outstanding with Well, one of the most interesting people, and I mentioned him yesterday, actually, that has the some of the most interesting stories is uh, Burt Jones's dad, Dub, Mr. Dub, Dub Jones. Uh, he played at Wrigley. We were talking about Wrigley Field uh-huh. and that game, you know, they're one of the new bowl game sites uh, that's being proposed is to have a game at Wrigley Field. Why you would want to play a bowl game at Wrigley Field in December, early January, just doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, uh, he's come in my store before, and I know him fairly well. And to listen to the stories of him playing in the old polo grounds, and because uh, and, he played in the old AFL before he played with the Cleveland Browns. Six touchdowns in one game, correct? Yeah, he still, he still yeah. Hold, has a, a, a shared – uh, record in the NFL with Gale Sayers, mm. six touchdowns in one game. Back and, in uh, 2009, I had an opportunity to go over to his house and sit down and visit with him, and it was just uh, two, three hours. It was just fabulous. Yeah, great stories of playing in these old places and who he played against and, yeah. and 
all of that. It just it was it's super interesting. I like that. Dub Jones put him. Dub Jones put him on the list. Uh, I always thought uh, Willis Reed, perhaps a. Uh, Carl Malone, we've yet to have them on the show. They would be fabulous. Yes. 888-993-7762. Give us some ideas. We're back from vacation. We're up and running on the morning drive on Sports Talk 97.7. Welcome back to the show. Aaron and Mark Kramer hanging out on this, what is today, Tuesday? Yeah. You do lose track of days, don't you? Because you don't have to worry about what day it is. Uh, Typically, this time, I'm just asking, hey, uh, I'll take a mimosa. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, man. Watching the sun come up. Thank you, man. Uh, we got to get into that later in this show. Just the power of the dollar and just how, you know, it's amazing. People, the perspective on life and how much they just enjoy it, no matter if they're working 14, 15 hours a day, six days a week. They always, some people just have a pleasant outlook on life. Yeah, man. That's right. Thank you, man. Uh, one of those being uh, Jared Ball, Rustin's head football coach. He joins us on the Stuart Shelby uh, hotline. Just a second. Coach, how you doing? Just a second. Okay, we'll get him in a minute. A lot of great things taking place with Bearcat football. Looking forward to it. One of the toughest schedules in the state uh, next uh, this coming football season, Aaron. This is their their first uh, four games. They are uh, are Neville, Acadiana, Airline, and Longview. Mm. That is the murderer's row of schedules in North Louisiana, maybe in the entire state. Who could have possibly scheduled that? The head coach wouldn't have done that. <laughs> uh, we'll get uh, Jared Ball on here on the line here in a second. When I was down in uh, Jamaica, Yaman, hanging out, uh, it's cool because you hang out with people from all across the country, Cal- uh, can- Canada, and also the world. But there were a number of uh, Cleveland fans there. So uh, watching a little bit of that uh, NBA Finals with some Cavs fans was an interesting experience. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Jared Ball, Rustin's head football coach, joins us on the Stuart Shelby Hotline. Coach, how are you doing this morning, bud? Good. How about you, Aaron? Good. Uh, Mark Kramer's in here with me this morning. We've got a number of things to discuss with you. Uh, first, we wanted to start with that. Uh, Kramer was discussing your guys' uh, first four games this year. Uh, wait, couldn't get any tough opponents or what? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's one thing about uh, about scheduling is is uh, you don't ever know how it's going to end up uh, with the uh, who's got what dates open and, and that kind of thing. And we ended up uh, a year ago, couldn't find uh, a week four game. And uh, I looked around uh, after the season was over and called. Uh, I knew Texas did their reclassification this past year and made a few phone calls and thought I had some things worked out with some other schools, but it ended up uh, being Longview because they, uh, they have some difficulty trying to find people to play uh just because i don't know some people seem to try to avoid playing good football teams but the way that we look at it is uh if we can get through uh our first 10 ball games and uh we're still healthy and all of that we should uh should be tested for uh a playoff run i would think coach ball a loaded question here and from a guy that spent many years in texas what would you say is the difference between texas and louisiana high school football well, uh, the biggest difference is, you know, I don't think uh, how good football teams are. Uh, there's not any difference uh, as far as that's concerned, as far as how good the players are, our good football teams. There's just a ton more schools over in Texas. So uh, the chances on running into somebody that's really good, uh, the odds go up uh, over there. Uh, differences in, in how they set up uh, – how they fund athletic programs is a big deal. You know, uh, over here, you really rely on gates and uh, fundraisers and that kind of thing. And over in Texas, they kind of put their money where their mouth is. And they uh, they budget you money and uh, depend on you to uh, put something good out on the field, but they, they also pay you to do it. So uh, that's that's probably the two biggest differences. Uh, the deal with Longview, then, is that a, a two-year deal? Uh, as long as we don't run into a situation where we have uh, a bunch of teams in our district and it interferes uh, with that, I would foresee us uh, returning the trip over there to Longview next year. All right, you did have some news and, and plenty of news uh, this off season. one of them being you losing your offensive coordinator, Andy Robinson, leaving for the head job at St. Frederick. You had that spot to fill. Have you found a new O.C.? 
Yes, we have. Uh, you know, Andy came in uh, last year as soon as I got the job. I, I kind of known Andy and uh, mainly a, a lot of acquaintances, had, had a lot of similar acquaintances. So uh, it was a really good fit. He did a really good job, and I was proud for him whenever he had the opportunity to go over to St. Fred's, but it kind of left us with a hole uh, at the offensive coordinator spot. So uh, I kind of put some feelers out, but really – in the back of my mind, I knew that uh, that we had a guy on staff that was going to be able to uh, to fill that spot. Uh, he had coached running backs and receivers uh, while I'd been there as offensive coordinator, so he's familiar with what we did on offense. So uh, we promoted Earl Griffin uh, to the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's really familiar with that area for sure. You know, he played high school football at Ruston. Uh, went to college at Tech, so uh, he's very familiar with uh, the kids around that area, and uh, so it was really an easy choice. Coach, uh, when you talk about that, I know it's easy. You and I have talked many times about continuity in your coaching staff and how that adds to stability in your program. This is just kind of one of the other steps in that process. It is. You know, that's, uh, that's one of the things kind of behind-the-scenes type deal. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people probably look at a lot of things and want to know why you don't hire this. Uh, we got a bad connection here with Coach uh, Ball. We'll uh, try to reconnect here in a second. Uh, that, that's the thing. We get in this debate about Louisiana and Texas football, of course, just the number of schools over there and, of course, uh, the, the number that you have to continue to compete with and the resources that they put into it. Yeah, one of the things that's different, Aaron, and having coached over there real quick, is that they are all ISDs over there. They're all independent school districts based on taxes and that kind of thing. So if you live in an area where the tax base is really stable, uh, they've got plenty of money to sink into the athletic program. Coach Ball, sorry, we lost you there for a second. We were just discussing, and, of course, you were mentioning, of course, keeping it in Hey, you just dropped. Let me call it back. Okay. Uh, go back and forth here. But that is a huge uh, thing. I know uh, I was coaching uh, in the Fort Worth area, and uh, we were getting ready to play in the playoffs around Thanksgiving. Now, this was even 30 years ago. Uh, and we needed a place to practice. Uh, and at the time, Grapevine High School already had an indoor practice facility 30 years ago. I mean, think about that. Well, you know where their tax base is for Grapevine High School? It's DFW Airport. Wow. And so they had they had the, the Bucks. They had three full 100-yard fields. They, had, they could practice their freshman sophomores and varsity all at the same time all right coach ball i think we got you back on the line i apologize for that uh, bad connection we were discussing and you were getting into why you didn't look pretty much outside the house to bring in your offensive coordinator well i just think it was a natural fit with uh, coach griffin uh you know he had coached running backs and receivers for us uh whenever i was hired as offensive coordinator so he's very familiar with uh what we do on offense uh that's a lot easier to transition uh, with someone that's already there that knows what it is that we want to do offensively. And uh, instead of hiring someone outside that uh, may want to try to do their own own deal. But uh, Coach Griffin's a very good uh, football coach, very familiar with the area. You know, he played high school ball at Ruston and went to college at Tech. So uh, he's very familiar with our kids, and, and we're, we're happy to have him. Speaking of resources, uh, you got a pretty exciting thing coming with a new scoreboard out there at uh, James Stadium. How did that come about, and how will that affect the game day atmosphere? Well, it's kind of been a work in progress. Uh, I started work on it really kind of as soon as I'd gotten hired. I've done that, uh, uh, I guess, everywhere I've been a head coach. Uh, and I know as far as what everybody thinks whenever they're looking at it, that it's all for show and that kind of thing but really for me especially here in louisiana like we talked about with the way the budgets are set up and that kind of thing uh the sponsorship money that it will generate for our athletic program is going to be the biggest thing but it will be something that uh is will uh for sure 
be something that the fans enjoy. I think the kids will enjoy it. They're all excited and ready to get it finished. I think we're due to uh, have everything completed by July the 1st. So uh, we'll have an opportunity to get used to using it, and uh, hopefully it'll uh, bring some more people out to the ball game. You organized a pretty cool thing this spring, trying to get uh, Northeast Louisiana High School coaches together once a week for a course of a month and bringing in college coaches and, of course, lectures and, and different clinics. How did that go over for the first uh, time? I'll tell you what. For the first time, I was very pleased with the turnout uh, and appreciated the college coaches that came in. I thought we had very good speakers uh, through high school and, and college. And uh, everybody that came was very positive about the, uh, about the way things went. Uh, you know, we did, this being the first year, we ran into uh, a few issues as far as running into uh, district and regional track meets and, and those kind of things that uh, may have cut back on, on some of the attendance. But I'll tell you what, I was very pleased, and, and we're planning on, on trying to make sure that we can do it again next year and, and maybe add uh, a few things to it. And it's twofold. I mean, it's a win-win situation for the high school coaches. And then the college coaches, I guess, an opportunity to kind of to communicate with the guys in the high school ranks at a different level and at a different location. Well, it is. And, and you know, those guys are used to driving around all over, all over from state to state and having to uh, drive a bunch of miles to see those guys. If they can get to one spot and, and see a bunch of coaches from – a lot of different areas, they kind of kill two birds with one stone, and then they're able to get there for a couple of hours and talk to football and get to know uh, get to know the coaches where they where they recruit, rather than just trying to dive in for five or ten minutes and hold a conversation. Then they've got to bump on to the next place. It's a it's an opportunity for them to get to know some guys. I know there was a little bit of a hang-up, though. Uh, the SEC, do they have some kind of rule where they cannot be on a high school campus, and maybe that will change over the course of the next year? Well, I don't know. The SEC probably is more strict than any other conference uh, in college as far as what they allow their coaches to do and not do. Uh, so what we have looked at is maybe moving the location away from the high school to uh, a hotel or something like that because they, they can – get on site uh, as long as it's not on on a school campus. So that's one thing that we've looked at, at least, you know, for one week to allow those guys an opportunity to come speak because they have shown a lot of interest in, in wanting to be there. Uh, just the rules don't permit it. So uh, we're working through some of those kinds of things, and I think that that's, that'll be something that uh, maybe in the future we can get worked out with some of those SEC schools. One final question. Of course, all those schools want to talk to your mammoth offensive tackle tight end, Ray Parker. How's the recruiting going for him? It's going good. Ray's having a good summer. Uh, he is, uh, you know, being recruited by everybody. Uh, he doesn't really get hung up in, in a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, Ray doesn't even have a Twitter page, which is really different from a lot of high school kids uh, these days that every time you turn around, they're tweeting something about how blessed they are to receive their 57th offer from whoever. Uh, Ray's not one of those kids. He, he just kind of takes it all in stride, and uh, I've been pleased with what he's done for us this summer. He's working hard. Coach Ball, we appreciate the time. I guess the season's about 80-some uh, days away. Thank you. We'll uh, catch up soon, bud. Hey, thanks, y'all. Jared Ball, Rustin's head coach. Went through a lot there. I'll be talking to him a lot very soon. Should be fun, though, those first four games. Oh, well, it doesn't get – hey, one of the things in all seriousness that I was joking with him about is the way the schedule flip-flops in district play this year. These are the home games. Think about the gate now for the Bearcats this year. These are the home games that Rustin's going to have this year. They're home against Neville. Mm -hmm. They're home with Acadiana, mm -hmm. who travels extremely well from South Louisiana. The district games at home include West Monroe and Washita. Mm. And they're home to uh, Airline. Mm. <laughs> Put that video board, uh, new scoreboard to well, use. I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah, his eyes were as big as silver dollars <laughs> thinking about the gates that they're going to have this year. He said, oh, we may be able to make two years' worth of, of gates out of this just this one year.
888-993-7762. It's the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline text line. Let's talk a little college baseball coming up after the break. Aaron and Mark hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group 1 Realty Studio in West Monroe. You're all in on this college baseball thing, aren't you? Oh, yes, sir. Yes. I am. Uh, how good was that series? That series was fantastic. Mississippi State, is, you know, every year, no matter what championship it is, even though we're talking about baseball, there always seems to be that team of destiny. I'm putting that in quotes. Uh, that just seems to have everything go their way. Uh, they have some kind of, uh, you know, kind of hidden agenda, something they're playing for uh, that kind of boosts them up a little bit. Mississippi State is that team in the College World Series. I mean, they were a couple of outs from elimination way back, you know, during the regional round and um, and come back and end up winning and win these game, you know, win a couple of games here as well and um, just a phenomenal performance by them. Uh, one thing. A guy used to sit right in that seat. He had a, a front row seat to, of course, That's Mississippi right. State throughout the entire year and then, of course, this terrific season. That being Brett Hudson from the Commercial Dispatch. He joins us on the Stuart Shelby Hotline. Brett, how are you doing this morning, bud? I am exhausted. This baseball team is costing me sleep every step of the way. It's been insane in these parts the last couple of weeks. I think I saw a tweet from you, and I tried to do the math, and I back-timed it a little bit. Were you leaving the ballpark around 4 o'clock or so? Yep. And then drove straight <laughs> from Nashville to Starkville. Yeah, nice. Yeah. What All right, to be so uh, how exciting is this, though? First of all, broad picture – this Mississippi State baseball program, where they're at, and, of course, the drama that they had, and, of course, the ugly headlines at the beginning of the season to where they are now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfathomable when when you when you look at where this this team has been to, to assume or even possibly project that they would be here at this point. I mean, obviously, the anti-Candidero stuff is what's going to be remembered about this team Um long going forward, well, and now an Omaha trip. But even within this season, I mean, they, they stubbed their toe in the midweek several times this year. They they had to escape Troy with a win. Uh, they lost to Memphis. They lost to Utah Valley. Uh, they were 2-7 and seven in conference play at one point, and, and they had gotten swept by Vandy, that team that they just knocked out of the, out of the NCAA tournament in. In the Super Regionals. Um, so for, for all of that to end with an Omaha run is just it's borderline impossible. And to, to do it the way they've done it, I mean, Kramer mentioned it, when Elijah McNamee walked off Florida State right out of their own Tallahassee Regional, they were down to their final strike. He had two strikes and two outs in the bottom of the ninth when he took a low and away changeup about 700 feet to left field. They were one strike away from this season being ended two games into the NCAA tournament. And now they're in Omaha. This is, this is a run that, that will probably be remembered by this fan base for forever. And if not for the, the 13 run where they made it to the, the championship series in, in Omaha, this would probably be the, the fan base's favorite run to Omaha. You know, Brett, one of the interesting things uh, from a media perspective is the fact that, you know, the – the athletic administration has come out when they were being asked many times about the search for a new coach. And, you know, they came out and said, oh, well, we want to have somebody, you know, we're going to be looking for somebody that has Omaha experience. Well, guess what? Now you have that guy sitting in your dugout already that the players are really behind. And so now uh, it may make their job a lot easier to choose a full, the full-time permanent coach. It's definitely complicated, um, for for sure, because you're right. Gary Henderson now has Omaha experience. I mean, he he served as an assistant at Kentucky for a few years, and then he was the head coach at Kentucky for for I think eight years, maybe ten. And he never made it to to Omaha. If I'm not mistaken, he never made it to a super regional um, in in that time. And now he's now he's in Omaha. Uh, it, it's definitely complicated matters because if they had lost the Tallahassee regional they probably would have introduced a new head coach maybe a day or two after that uh, that loss came down. Um, and, and for this to, to extend to this point 
and to for it to happen the way that it has happened. I mean, I think my, my biggest takeaway from Nashville was that was the first time I thought it was Gary Henderson's team. I, I thought in the past they were playing for Jake Mangum and Connor Pilkington. They were playing for each other. They were playing for a group of fans. And, and I, frankly, I thought it was a bunch of freshmen that didn't really understand the gravity of, of what they were doing or how huge these accomplishments were, where, where youthful exuberance, as Gary Henderson would put it, kind of played in their favor, right? Like they don't understand what they're doing. They just keep winning and they don't really think about what they're doing. But something changed with these guys over over the last few weeks. I think they really want to keep this coaching staff intact. And maybe maybe it was the fact that people like Dan McDonald and Jim Schlossnagel and uh, Cliff Godwin uh, pulled their names from the head coaching search and did so in very public manners. Or, or maybe it's just the fact that they've been winning the, the way they have. I mean, they've won all five of their elimination games in the NCAA tournament, they love the assistant coach, Jake Gotro, who also has Louisiana ties. They love Gary Henderson. Uh, Mike Brown was promoted from a volunteer assistant to a full-time assistant uh, in the in the coaching nonsense of, of February. This, this staff has really come together, and I think the players have, have gelled for it, too. So while there are a lot of fans that might be disappointed if, if Gary Henderson is named the permanent head coach and this staff stays intact. I, I think you're going to find a majority of players that are going to be pretty pleased with that. There are going to be a few. There might be some some defections. But overall, if that were to happen, this will probably be the same program next year because there's only two seniors on this year's roster. There are a couple of juniors that might leave in the draft based on where they were selected, but this is going to be a team that's mostly going to return next year. Uh, Henderson back in 2012 at Kentucky was actually the SEC coach of the year. So he has uh, plenty yeah. of experience. He was there from uh, 09 to 2016 as the head coach. So administrators are putting an interesting uh, spot here. Do you go ahead and this week get caught up in the moment and say, all right, he's our head coach as we go to Omaha, or do you wait and continue to say, well, this kind of philosophy is working pretty well now. The players are playing for him. Let's just ride this thing out and see how it goes in the College World Series. Yeah, I don't I don't think John Cohen's going to get caught up in, in the moment. And in my experience in covering his coaching searches, and granted, this is only his second coaching search at a revenue sport. He also hired a volleyball coach and a women's soccer coach. Um, and and I, don't clu- I don't include hiring Andy Canadero because he was – hand-picked from, from before John even became the athletic director. So he's hired a football coach, and he's about to hire a baseball coach. And in all of his coaching search experience, he tends to cast a very wide net. I mean, almost nobody was talking about Joe Moorhead for this job when Dan Mullen left for Florida, and now he's here and incredibly popular. Uh, he's cast a very wide net for – for this baseball search, there's a reason three guys have already pulled out of consideration because it's a very wide net, and there are a lot of names being thrown around. I mean, you, you hear of the athletic department talking to six, seven people, or at least like talking within themselves about those people within a week, like while the team is currently in the NCAA tournament. He has a very wide net, and it's going to continue to be that way because he said throughout he wants people that are still coaching right now that we're still coaching in super regionals that are going to be going to Omaha he's going to be looking at coaches like that so he's he's still very much in the in the evaluation process which is a good thing for Gary Henderson and the staff right I mean they're they're still being paid attention to they're still being being looked at because there there's no decision made in that athletic department right now all right, Brad, uh, we've talked about this numerous times when he co-hosted this show. Things on your bucket list, and I don't know if the College World Series was on it or not. Uh, is it now, and are you fired up about what's about to take place here in the next week? It has been, man. Yeah, I cannot wait to go to Omaha. I leave I leave first thing Thursday morning, and I, I just cannot wait. Um, I, I can't believe I'm going, to, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to to see this um i'm thrilled this is mississippi state's 10th time but they haven't been in five years 
uh, and obviously the the program has undergone some some pretty drastic overhaul. And in those five years, they've they've changed coaches twice. They've got an interim staff right now. So you're you're probably going to see the streets of Omaha painted maroon this weekend. Mm. Uh, so how many days are you going to pack for? I'm going to pack for probably eight and and hit up a laundromat if if it comes to that. <laughs> I've heard stories of the of the guys on the 2013 beat all meeting up at a laundromat uh, once they got to the the championship series and and just uh, washing all their clothes to, to stay for four or five more days. Um, but I, I I almost made that mistake in Tallahassee. Tallahassee, I almost packed for three days. But I was like, no, pack for pack for the whole thing. Maybe maybe something weird happens. And, and thank God I did because I was there for five days. So, I'm, I'm going right. to pack for a long haul. Uh, I know you probably haven't had a lot of chance to break this thing down with the uh, eight teams heading to Omaha. What do you think of Mississippi State's chances and the fact that uh, the SEC has three squads going after national championships? Yeah, um, I think Mississippi State's draw is absolutely brutal. To, to be on the same half of the, of the bracket as Oregon State and North Carolina, that sucks. Both, both of those teams are just awesome uh have been all season long they're incredible uh it would, it would almost benefit mississippi state to be on the other side with the other sec teams right because florida and arkansas shouldn't scare them for nothing they're six and oh against those teams this season swept them both here in starkville at duty noble field um so it would, it would very much benefit mississippi state to be on the same side as those sec teams um but they're they're on this other side with with Oregon State and North Carolina. They play Washington Saturday night. So I think, uh, in my opinion, I think Washington is the weakest on, on that side. But we're in Omaha. Nobody's weak. You're, you're just possibly less talented than, than your other. But I think Oregon State and North Carolina are going to be the, the real flipping blocks for, for State and, and Omaha. Those are two really, really tough tasks. Granted, Florida State and Vanderbilt were tough tasks too, but but Oregon State and North Carolina are really, really tough. It's hard for me to imagine beat the State beating both of them, beating one of them twice, maybe, or maybe even beating both of them twice. It's it's a really, really tough ask, especially for this team, which is kind of thin on the pitching side. Now, granted, they've had one guy come up huge in every NCAA tournament game to kind of avoid that catastrophe, be it Cole Gordon or two-lane transfer, J.P. France. They've been able to find one guy to come up huge and maybe eat up four innings in a game. And maybe that continues in Omaha, but, man, that's a tough trend to continue, especially against lineups as good as Oregon State and North Carolina. All right, Brad Hudson, a final question. Obviously, you were not there with Mississippi State and Dak Prescott, and, of course, the, the buildup for that and the excitement around that football program then. But from speaking to fans and, of course, colleagues, what kind of interest is this generating for Mississippi State baseball and athletics? Oh, it's massive. Um, <laughs> yes, it, it's massive. I mean, this was this was a team that was given up on wholesale in in February and, and March. I mean, that's that's the thing about this fan base. They they truly are a great baseball fan base. They truly care. Like they don't just show up when when they see the team's record in the paper in in may and they're like oh they actually win more times than they lose let's go out and see them once or twice they they keep up with it and and they care but they also they also project right like they 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 look at rosters they they have a feeling when when the bad team is coming and, and they thought a bad team was coming here especially with all the turmoil in um in in february so they they checked out for, for a little bit and early on in the year. I, I mean, I think even players have, have called them out on on that. But they're here now. That much is, is, is abundantly clear. They they traveled pretty well to Tallahassee. They traveled incredibly to, to Nashville. That was basically a neutral site game. They actually had Mississippi State fans up in a parking garage just outside the, the right field wall where you can kind of view into the stadium to, to watch the game from – from there, and and they're they're all in on on Omaha at, at this point. I mean, not that not that anybody cares, but my, my traffic is through the roof 
mm-hmm. right now. People people cannot get enough of, of Mississippi State baseball in these parts. Uh, Brett, enjoy your trip to Omaha. We'll probably check in with you during the College World Series. We appreciate the time, bud. Safe travels. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Brett Hudson. Good guy. Good gig this week. Last week was a little busy for him. Yeah. Uh, Cole Marsh, former Neville standout, of course, uh, now at Mississippi State. He is a part of the Mississippi State bullpen. I think he made uh, nine appearances so far for them this year. Uh, Henderson uh, kind of uses his uh, bullpen a little differently. We'll see now whether or not Cole gets in the College World Series, but uh, pretty cool considering the backstory, of course, with him four years ago, uh, collapsing on the practice field over there at Neville. And, of course, his comeback story continues, and now it continues in Omaha. Another Northeast Louisiana tie-in. You have Ryan Reynolds from OCS Slugger. Right. He Texas. is playing for the Longhorns. He has started, I believe, 61 out of 63 ball games. He's had a pretty solid year for the Horns. So two guys to keep an eye on as the College World Series gets underway. It's always nice when you have some kind of local tie. Uh, gives you a little more investment into watching some of the games, especially if you happen to see like we have, because I was doing OCS's games then uh, on uh, on radio and to be able to see these guys in high school and then be able to watch them at a level like this is very interesting. Uh, pretty soon here we'll have a decision, of course, coming from OCS slugger Jake Slaughter about his future. Drafted in the 18th round by the Chicago Cubs, Paul Maneri has said he expects Jake, of course, to take uh, the deal with the pros and head to the Chicago Cubs minor league organization. No official word coming yet from Jake. Hogan weighs in, says, how about the Hogs? We are paired with Texas, Florida, Texas Tech in the College World Series. We have beaten all three teams six out of the eight games this year, sweeping Texas and Texas Tech. The old Southwest Conference games. Uh, Ronnie Wade in from West Monroe says he coaches at Riverfield Academy and all their coaches attended the clinics at Ruston, enjoyed them, and they look forward to it next year after speaking, of course, with Jared Ball around 7.15 or so. Keep the text coming at 888-993-7762. It is the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Gus Cattengill joins us at the top of the hour as we talk a little Saints. The Morning Drive returns after this. All right, Mark, we only got a couple minutes here before the top of the hour. You want to hear a couple of vacation stories? Sure. What would you rather hear uh, about a guy that I saw almost kill himself uh, diving over a a waterfall or uh, me being violated by a masseuse? Uh, a lady, I don't fainting, know if that's, uh, a lady fainting on me. I don't know if the uh, masseuse story is is. Uh, right, I'll tell the masseuse is a, story. Is appropriate for morning me. radio. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. So uh, of course we had to, we wanted to have a massage or two in oh, on vacation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're down there and uh, we're going to do the old couples massage. You know, okay. A little romantic, you know. So you know, you folk over the money and uh, they walk you in the locker room and say, "All right, put your robe on." So I put my robe on and me and the wife are walking to. Um, the room where we're going to have our massages. And the lady said, uh, uh, is that your swimming suit under the, the robe? And I said, uh, yes. And she said, yeah, man, we, we don't do that in Jamaica. You got to be uh, naked. I, I, whoa. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable with this. Anyway, so the massage continues. And uh, I told my wife afterwards that I felt violated afterwards. And we needed to probably uh, address the Jamaican authorities because I, I don't think my buttocks had, had received that kind of attention in a long, long time. <laughs> And I joked about it with the wife numerous times. And, and then I actually came across the masseuse later in the week, and she did a double take. And I was like, yeah, she remembered my butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another time we're at a dinner, and, you know, they seat you with different people. And right. It's so great to get out and about, and you meet people from around basically the world. Lovely couple from Virginia sitting there, and we were having a nice evening and eating. And she gets up and says, ah, I don't feel very well. And uh, the next thing I know, I have the lady in my lap as she faints. And, you know, I didn't stay at a Holiday Express. I was at a resort. So I didn't know exactly what to do. So uh, thankfully, she came to after about uh, 10, 15 seconds. And uh, she just had some uh, low uh, sugar levels at the time. So the next day, she was fine. But an extremely scary incident. Yeah, anytime something like that happens, you just you don't know what to do kind of because mm-hmm. it's it's thrown on you so quickly, you don't really uh, react the way you think you might. Uh, another thing, uh, the sporting events down there, besides, I guess, the, the water volleyball, which uh, is always another fun activity. And, of course, you get to see how athletic everybody is. 
they had something called the goat races. So after our evening meal, they round up all the guests there at the resort and they line them up and they bring in, uh, there must have been five to six goats and they were not willing participants. And they weren't exactly like thoroughbreds trained for this. And PETA would be dead set against this. This is no way this takes place in, in, the, US. in the United States. But in, Amer- in Jamaica, Yaman, we're running the goats. So they line up five to six goats, and they basically have a rope, and they ask for volunteers from the guests to hold the rope and to race with the goats. Obviously, I wanted no part of it, but there were a number of uh, guests that were just ready to go. So literally a 20-yard race with the goats. They say, go, the goats take off. Ladies that probably had a, a drink or two, a mimosa or two, are trying to follow with the goats. Several of them uh, really bit it, and they bit it hard. Uh, I've got video of it, and you'll, you'll be uh, entertained by it. We will certainly be showing, showing some of that uh, later in the football season for a pigskin picking prognosticator segment coming up at the start of the football season. We will figure out a way to incorporate that. So I was working down there. I'm going to try yeah. to turn in the expense report later today. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Still doing some uh, video footage for yes. uh, to put it in the what they used to call putting it in the can yes. to use for later. So we'll see how that turns out when I turn in that report uh, later. That sounds <laughs> funny. So a number of stories we got more f- uh, coming for you later in the show, but it is always interesting when you meet people from around the country, and then of course they have an interest in. Uh, the NBA Finals going on while we're down there trying to find a TV. And, of course, everybody's grouped around one or two TVs, and there was a number of Cleveland people there. And they go in, and their expectations for the, uh, the NBA Finals and what their team's going to do, they had they were optimistic after game one. Well, they were quickly dashed there later in the series. Yeah, the, the games three and four weren't much, uh, especially game four. It kind of felt like uh, Cleveland kind of packed it in in the second half of game four, um, you know, I'm sure that all those guys kind of knowing that it was over, mm-hmm. didn't want to have to fly all the way back to Oakland uh, just so Golden State could clinch the championship on their home floor. So now they've done it in Cleveland's floor the last two years. Let's take a timeout, 7 o'clock hour in the books. You can join the conversation at 888-993-7762. Coming up after the break, We'll talk a little Saints football with Gus Cattengale as the Saints get ready for day one or day one of their mandatory minicamp. We're back after this. Brad Parker and his wife Leah opened the Iron Cactus in Calhoun, Louisiana on July 12, 2010 and has made Iron Cactus into a one-of-a-kind restaurant and, in my opinion, the best Tex-Mex in the area. They now have a second... Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.